It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you for the patrons of the program, folks like Dennis and Terrence and Teresa, Rebecca and Taylor, Keith, Yuri, Larry, David, Patty, Trudy and Ron, Gene and Ben, and Alan. Uh, thank you very much. They are all patrons of the program. You can become one as well. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com and... Uh, there's a link at the top. You click that, it'll take you to the Patreon page, and then you get exclusive content like the live stream access like we did last night. A lot of fun. Um, so thepetecalendarshow.com. You can also subscribe there as well. In 2019, uh, the North Carolina legislature passed a bill. It was called the North Carolina Safe Child Act. It was unanimously passed through the General Assembly and signed into law by Governor Roy Cooper. Uh, it is the Sexual Assault Fast Reporting and Enforcement Act, the NC uh, Safe Child Act, and it protects kids from abuse uh, in communities and online, and it does a bunch of things. It modernizes sexual assault laws in the state. And uh, one of the advocates for this law is, as she joins me now, is Katie Trout, survivor and an advocate. Welcome to the show, Katie. How are you? Thanks, P. I am great. How are you? I am doing well. So full disclosure, Katie and I used to work together down in Charlotte like a hundred years ago. And <laughs> many, moons. many moons. Many, many moons. And uh, you were a call screener, right? That's what you started. Did you, is that all you know? Because you did some other stuff too, right? You were a call screener. What else? You work in promotions or something? I did um, research and booking for, yes. oh man. Who was it? Jason Lewis, Jeff Katz, and then Tara Servatius. So I was around for a bit. Yeah, for a bit. So um, and so you were an advocate for this law. So first, let, let's start with your experience. And this occurred down in Charlotte. Correct. Um, so I grew up in Charlotte and was a very frequent church grower with my family, um, basically until I moved um, away. And it was there at this church that I um, got involved in some groups, some ministry groups that they had there in hopes of getting, you know, a little bit more plugged in, meet some friends, things like that. And it was there that um, a church employee started grooming me, which for maybe people who aren't unfamiliar with that term, um, it's... It's where an individual starts to like gradually um, like befriend people or um, start doing things that seem very subtle to everybody, including the victim um, who's around them. No one's going to notice that something seems off until things progress Hmm. further along down the road. Um, So, so on the grooming definition, um, because obviously, I mean, it can take many different forms depending on mm-hmm. the people involved in the relationships and the settings and all of that. I, I always, I, I guess I've always thought of it as wooing, except, you know, you're not supposed to be doing it. And so you have to make it look 
like something else, right? Because like it, it's essentially building a rapport with a with a victim for over a long period of time in order to break down any barriers that might exist that would prevent them from abusing the person. Is that sound? Is that a fair understanding of it? That's t- totally accurate, and it can take all different forms. Like, um, at least with me, I uh, this man definitely started paying me a lot of attention, but everything was around other church members um, when he was doing this initially. So it didn't look odd when he started to kind of pull me away or make it more to isolate me more. Um, And then there's things like um, gradual, like gradually starting to introduce um, like physical touch. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember, you know, Sometimes there were hugs in front of other people. So he was doing that. So when something later on could happen, people wouldn't be questioning because they would say, oh, well, that looks normal. Or um, one of the first times I noticed or I started to feel that things were really off was when he was like, let me give you a piggyback ride when I was up at church one evening. And I mean, I was 15 at that point. That was a little weird for me being that age, (laughs) you know? So it fell off, but um, I just realized later on, once I started to unravel all of this, that he'd done that to introduce touch, but make it seem like his usual funny self, if you will, mm-hmm. to people who were paying attention. Which, this is the uh, another thing that you don't realize it. Uh, for one, you're young, and I mean, what kids are going to be aware of this kind of stuff and what it looks like, um, but also that... This is calculated, right? This stuff is not just, uh, oh, I'm sorry you misinterpreted or whatever. These are all, this is premeditation, it's calculation, and all this stuff is designed with the abuse in mind down the road. Correct. And I think what a lot of people don't realize that is, is that the perpetrator has to groom the community that is Mm. around them as well you know of course they're grooming the victim to break down those walls um, of suspicion or anything but for the perpetrator to be successful and not be caught he has to groom those around them to where they're not any they're not going to question his behavior does it and i i don't know if this was the case in your situation but does it help the abuser if there are other victims like in order to because if the if everybody around because it's a good point i had never thought about the grooming the community as well um but i guess does it make sense then that he's doing this to other people so this way it just looks like oh well that's you know that's joe or jim or whatever like that's what he does he gives everybody piggyback rides like does he do this with more than one people uh, more than one person rather yes Hmm. and at least in my case um i actually watched my abuser from an early age at church because he was very involved in guess what children's ministry shocking so <laughs> i know exactly right <laughs> one of the I'll, I'll say one of the things i learned i read a book a long time ago called what cops know and it said one of the one of the chapters was about uh, abusers of kids pedophiles and stuff and it said that um the, the people are always expressing shock, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it was the Little League coach. Oh, my gosh, it was. Mm-hmm. I can't believe they were around all these kids. And the cops are always like, we can. That's where their targets are. <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. they're going to go around the kids. 
Exactly. Um, it's These abusers are not people jumping out from behind bushes. They are people that are fathers or, I mean, even mothers of your kids' best friends or coaches or, you know, people who are close to the victim and close to the family or the group that they're interacting with. So when this... Uh, started happening you said you first realized something was wrong with this piggyback ride that was the when, when he said let me give you a piggyback ride that was the first you felt weird about anything he was doing yeah i mean that was the first physical touch before that um he had asked me to start emailing him and that that was an early step that didn't seem off but obviously was there to isolate any dialogue between me and him hmm. so so yeah. uh this then he so this this progresses i assume and like i said i'm not going to press on any details with you you're free to tell your story um but this progresses beyond then just obviously this touching um he he abuses you and then uh, i guess you can pick it up there either go to the uh well just you tell your story i won't tell you where to go with it yeah so once things did obviously progress to a certain point, um, I was abused for four years um, pretty frequently um, by him. And it was in, oh my goodness, time has passed, right, Pete? Yeah. Um, 2004, where um, I got some therapy <clears throat> in the summer between my freshman and sophomore years in college and got at least stable enough at that point to decide to tell my parents. So came forward and just closed everything um, late 2004. And he was then convicted um, the following year and for in North Carolina, you're going to love this. Um, Everything becomes consensual once somebody turns 16. So they could only get my abuser on one count for indecent liberties with a minor. Everything after the age of 16 now doesn't count. Correct. So I could essentially, well, I guess this is how it happened. You know, February 4th, when I was 15, that was all valid. But then when I turned 16 on February 5th, then it then it wasn't illegal anymore. And is this the law now, or is this what the law was then and has now been changed? As far as I know, the um, that age is still the same. Okay. I think. And so uh, you went to your parents. That did that then that prompted the criminal investigation that prompted his arrest. Yes. Okay, and then I'm assuming other victims then spoke out or something, or maybe were you the only one? I don't know. I hope I'm the only one. Um, the church never um, disclosed what had happened hmm. to the congregation to see if any other potential victims wanted to come forward. So I'll never know um, if there were others. Right. I certainly hope there are not. Um, well, and that's why this is kind of important, uh, why we're talking today, is because this law that was passed in 2019, there is a portion of this law that's called a look-back period, 
so uh, explain what this look back period is. And uh, we are approaching the end of the look back period. Correct. So um, the bill did, like you mentioned before, make some really good um, changes to existing sexual assault laws and mandatory reporting for um, people in North Carolina. But um, the part of the bill that I had advocate, I advocated for personally because it directly impacted me was to um, have the chance to bring a civil lawsuit against um, my abuser or the institution where he had been employed um, for not for damage incurred essentially. Mm-hmm. So part of the bill um, with the Save Child Act established a two-year look-back window, which started January 1st of 2020 and ends later this year on December 31st. And this allows um, those who were abused as children and any, if the statute of limitations has expired for their case, which if anyone's, you know, kind of over around 28 years old, it probably has um, to it allows them to file a civil lawsuit against the institution or the abuser um, for those damages. All right. We'll have more with Katie Trout in a minute. First, if you are doing some work around the house or uh, if you're a general contractor and uh, you need some equipment, maybe a big piece of equipment for, you know, big project, uh, and you don't know where to get it, go to General Equipment Rental. They're going to show you how to use the equipment as well, mainly because they don't want you breaking their equipment. Uh, but no, they also they also want you to, uh, you know, to get the job done correctly, quickly, get it done right, and uh, then bring the equipment back. Again, not broken. So uh, they'll show you how to use it, but also uh, they are your source for outdoor power equipment as well to do battle with the uh, the ever encroaching greenery around the uh, the yard. So chainsaws and trimmers and hedge clippers. They've got the auto mower from Husqvarna. It's like a Batmobile Roomba kind of a thing. It just rides around the yard and cuts the grass for you all the time and you can control it with your uh, smartphone and i know what you're thinking like pete somebody can take it and steal it then what no if they pick it up and they move it off the property then it shuts down becomes a paperweight and there's a gps locator in it so the cops can track it down too and bust the people who stole it yeah i know right it's perfect go to general equipment rental in weaverville at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road uh the website is generalrents.com general equipment rental Think outside your toolbox. I'm speaking with Katie Trout. She is a survivor and an advocate. Uh, you can actually get uh, in touch with her at her Twitter handle at Katie S. Trout. That's with a, a T-I-E, K-T-E, K-A-T-I-E-S, Trout. And um, we're talking about this Safe Child Act. Uh, this was originally Senate Bill 199 at the time in 2019, and uh, it did a number of things. It extended the statute of limitations to bring an action for child abuse. There's the criminal side of it, uh, which increases the statute of limitations to 10 years for misdemeanor child abuse. And before this bill would, uh, became law, um, a misdemeanor action could only be brought two years after the date of the incident. Um 
and for folks who are curious, there are no statute of limitations for felonies. This is just for the misdemeanor uh, stuff. And then the civil side of it, uh, this increased the statute of limitations up to age 28. And so that means that a person who was sexually abused under the age of 18 years old has until the age of 28 to bring a civil action against the abuser. But this look back period they, is what they call it. This, the, you got a two year window from when the bill was passed. And um, and so this so this the clock is running on this. So people who have been victims um, and want uh, want to bring some sort of a civil action, they have to decide to do this now before December 31st or else they lose the ability to ever sue. Is that the gist of it? That's definitely the gist. Um, I mean, I I hope something can happen where it's extended past the end of the year, but that's definitely uncertain. Um, But they need to go ahead and find a good attorney um, and go ahead and file that suit before the 30th um, of this year. So, um, well, I've just blanked on the question that I was going to ask you. Oh, the so where it stands now, which is the the legislation's already been passed. It's a law, and this look back period is part of the law. Is and as I understand it now, there is there is some desire to have this look back period extended. Is that accurate? That's correct. Um, the argument that we were told by lawmakers and insurance companies when the bill was obviously being debated um, was that it was going to overwhelm the court system and we wouldn't be able to handle it, but that has not been the case. Well, and that really should be an indication of uh, like, if you think, so if that was the argument at the time, and I, I completely believe that that was the argument, but wouldn't that indicate it's a big problem? Like, if they really believe that this is going to overwhelm the court system, then, gee, maybe we should give people a lot of time to do this, because it sounds like you guys think there's going to be a lot of uh, cases. Yes. But no, that's uh, logic, and so it doesn't apply. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) no, that doesn't apply often down there. But um, the law, the uh, sorry, the insurance companies are huge Hmm. and and have money to spend because obviously they don't want to spend any money on you so they're pretty powerful force and actually so are um groups who advocate for church denominations so a lot of people don't know that the Hmm. church groups are also down there fighting it ah that does make sense those are the those are the big ones the ones who have money so then uh why do you think that the period needs to be extended is, you know, you got uh, this two year window. Um, why does it need to be longer? And um, what would you prefer it be? How long would you like to see it be? Um, well, one, a lot of people aren't aware that the average age of disclosure for child sexual abuse is actually around 52. So there are a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, a lot of survivors don't even realize that what happened to them as children was abuse until later on in life. And it kind of all starts to come together. Mm-hmm. So it's not a decision that it's made lightly. Um, I definitely wasn't ready to do anything until the last few years. I don't know if I would have been in a good enough place to do that. 
um, it, it's such a personal decision, too. I mean, that really is just putting yourself out there for every part of your life and the worst parts of your life to be dissected. Well, blows up everything that you're familiar with, too. I mean, mm -hmm. this is your church, you know, your parents' church. These are your friends and family and everything else. Like, that's your whole world. Exactly. Um, it's definitely impacted my faith and how I view the church and the church as a whole. Mm -hmm. There are, I'm not grouping, you know, every single church out there into that, but a lot of them aren't in the business to be supporting survivors. Um, so I would, as a survivor, advocate for there to be no statute of limitations for civil cases. Several states across the country have been able to get that passed and know their courts aren't overloaded, but it puts the, uh, it puts the power back in the victim's hands because they can do it on their time rather than someone forcing them into it. Right. Cause it also sounds like as long as, I guess this is sort of the, the Catholic church model um, where they just kept moving the abusers around. And if you can do that, then you can kind of get away from that. Uh, you can kind of try to dodge that two year uh, period now that it's even coming to a close, right? I mean, like you can you can just move people away for two years and then hope that nobody files suit and then bring them back or whatever. Yeah, and I'm sure there's people listening who are in other states, but maybe their abuse took maybe their abuse occurred in North Carolina. Um, who should go ahead and file? Um, but. I have I find out that so many people in, in our state are not aware that this is even an option. Right. Or that and I was not aware that this clock was running for mm -hmm. these lawsuits either. So I appreciate um I appreciate you going over this with me. Is there anything else that you want to add that you think is important or interesting here that people should know before we let you go? I'm happy to talk with anybody if they have questions about it or, you know, want help finding a good attorney because i will say um that not every attorney is equipped to deal with sexual abuse cases um i know of survivors who've been who've experienced like secondary trauma because the attorney they bring on is not trauma informed and hmm. just makes things even worse for the person so it is important to find somebody who has experience in this and can care for you as the survivor through what can be a challenging period. But I'm happy to talk with anybody, help you find a good attorney or even just, you know, be an ear if you need to need to talk. But right. I hope people will tell their friends, tell their family, anybody who you think could benefit from doing this before the end of the year. And people can contact you at your Twitter account, which is at Katie S. Trout. That's K-A-T-I-E, Katie S. Trout. Um, and uh, you'll respond there. You also have, I noticed, linked up at your profile page on Twitter, um, a, a series of links. It, it'll take you to a page, and there's a whole bunch of links for uh, articles and uh, and organizations. So there, 
there are resources available. There are people that can help that uh, that have gone through this. So you're not you're not in uncharted you know waters alone. Um, people can help you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Katie Trout, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story and for the awareness. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Pete. All right. Now, if you are in the market for a new home, uh, like Christy and I were, well, uh, do what we did, which is to call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. And uh, they helped us find our uh, our home. We're actually moving in uh, this weekend. So we're very excited about that. Well, I mean, aside from the actual moving part of it, but we're very excited about the new house. If you're looking to sell a house, Rowena and her team can get your house sold quickly. And for more money, this is what she does. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state of North Carolina. Uh, and so put her and the All-Star Powerhouse team to work for you. The number is 828-333-4483. That's 3 333-4483 mountainhomehunt.com is the website uh, give her a call go to the website and then start packing uh, so some activists held a news conference outside of the North Carolina legislature the other day and uh, they were advocating for the right to protest uh, which means uh, to shut down all legislative work that's what it means when the <laughs> activists say we have the right to advocate and to protest because they were there defending a Fayetteville activist arrested after disrupting a legislative hearing uh, earlier in the week. Kathy Greggs, president and co-founder of the Fayetteville Police Accountability Community Task Force, or as I like to call it, the FPAC. Anyway, uh, she was arrested at the legislature last week on a charge of second-degree trespass, according to the online records. Um, and uh, Greggs was part of a group of activists with the North Carolina People's Budget Coalition, or as I like to call it, the BPC. Uh, they went to the legislature to speak out against the state's budget, but were denied the right to comment, according to a news release from Down Home North Carolina, which is an activist group for the state's working families. All of them. They Did you know that the state's working families had a group for them? They do. It's called, apparently, Down Home, North Carolina. Um, quote, we are here for the people, the people's budget, Greg said. She stood up in her seat interrupting uh, the session and uh, she screams out, you failed to let us make a public comment on this budget and you pass this budget without the people. We are also... Tired of you not using the poor people's campaign to allow us to let the people talk, to allow the people to actually make a public comment on this budget. You have not done right for the people, and we want to vote you out and defund your salaries. I was trying to say it, like, because that's what she was yelling. <clears throat> they they uh, walked her out, escorted her out, and uh, then she got arrested. A minute or two after she leaves, then another guy from the group stands up claiming to be a Raleigh resident, um, demanding to speak about uh, the state of health care. Um, and then he got escorted out. And then uh, a couple of minutes after that, a group of 10 other people stood up, started chanting, people's budget, NC, expand Medicaid now. It's like they're not even trying to rhyme anymore. One person holding a banner had it pulled from his grasp, crumpled up by the police officer who had escorted Greggs out of the room. So this is what prompted the press conference that they held a couple days later. And uh, they said that, uh, look, they had signed up to speak about the budget. 
uh, but that once they entered the chamber, the list was taken away and they were told uh, that there would be no public comment. They don't say by whom. Uh, Look, I'm generally uh, in favor of public comment periods. I'm not a fan of the way the General Assembly runs them, but I also understand that it's a state body and there are ten and a half million people in the state. You got a ton of organizations uh, and that if you opened up the public comment for like you do at the local level, nobody would ever get anything done. Um, And so I I do understand that. I do think they should open it up for public comment. That being said, I'm not really sure that the people's budget campaign is uh, going to be persuasive to the Republicans. The creators of the people's budget, they've done a couple of these. This is the latest people's budget, which I was not asked for my input. I just note the irony here. They took no public comment from me. I'm a person. I'm a people. And it's like, this is my budget, too, is it not? If you're claiming to represent the people and I'm part of the people, uh, I was not given an opportunity to weigh in on your people's budget. Um, this It's a far left coalition because, of course, it is. Um, and uh, there's a bunch of different groups in there. They call themselves the NC United for Survival and Beyond, or as I like to call it, the NICUSB. And they released their People's Budget Platform of Demands for 2021. Now, uh, this one is a little bit uh, shorter. It's a little bit more condensed, smaller ask this year. Because last year, they had a very lengthy list of demands. And as Brian Balfour at the John Locke Foundation tallied it up, it was about $151 billion worth of demands. $151 $151 billion. By comparison, the annual budget in this state is about 26. Okay. 26 billion to 151 billion. So pretty affordable. I mean, all things considered. Um, now, maybe you're thinking like uh, a roof might not be affordable for you. But actually, if you go to Balkan Roofing, you're going to get a, the best roof. You're going to get the best company. And you're going to get a roof for as low as $69 a month with financing from Balkan. Yeah, they do their own financing in-house because uh, they realize, like, if they do it this way, then uh, they can get more people uh, roofs. That's the kind of people they are. They do great work so much so that they've been recognized repeatedly. I think they're three or four times now in a row. Uh, they've won uh, the President's Award, which comes from GAF. That is the uh, the largest roofing shingle manufacturer in North America. And uh, only like 2% of all roofers even qualify to be picked for this award, let alone win it. And Balkans won it three times. So uh, give them a call. Have them come on out. They'll take a look at your roof. Uh, make sure that it's all good. And look, if it's not, they're going to tell you that. And they're going to you know, work with you to get it fixed because it protects the biggest investment you got, which is your house. Um, but sometimes, you know, maybe it's just a shingle out of place or something, or maybe it's nothing at all. And it's like, no, you're fine. The roof's fine. It'll last another, you know, five years or whatever. And you can try to replace it now. You could do that now or you can wait. It's your call. Now, I will say this. The price of materials has been going up and Balkan has been absorbing all of those prices as best they can. All the price increases on the materials and stuff. Um, But at some point, there's only so much they can do. So if you are thinking about getting a roof this year, Think about doing it sooner rather than later, okay? Go to BalkanRoofing.com or give them a call at 628-0390. That's 628-0390, BalkanRoofing.com. That's B-A-L-K-E-N Roofing.com. 
So this Senate budget includes at least $765 million in earmarks for local projects and nonprofits, almost all of it in counties represented by Republican senators. Who could have predicted such a thing? Uh, this is the uh, this is the big story over at uh, the McClatchy newspapers, the Charlotte Observer and the News and Observer. Colin Campbell all over this one. Earmarks, sometimes known as pork barrel spending or even member money, are a common practice in the legislature's budget process. But the amounts sent to GOP districts are high this year in part because the budget would spend billions of dollars in federal American Rescue Plan Act money. Yeah, so imagine that when the feds print off, you know, a trillion and a half dollars and send 350 million to the states, and then the states get to choose what to do with the money. The states that are run by Republicans are going to send the money to the districts that are represented by Republicans. And uh, by the way, this is happening in Democrat-run states, sending money to Democrat districts as well. The NC Insider, he says, reviewed hundreds of pages of budget documents and identified more than 200 local projects. Only about 20 of those would go to counties that are represented exclusively by Democrats. So 10 percent, 10 percent. Now, keep in mind, you've got some county, like, for example, Buncombe County is exclusively represented by Democrats. There are no Republican representatives in uh, in Buncombe County. Now, there is State Senator Chuck Edwards, and he's got part of Asheville, part of Buncombe County in his Henderson County district. So, like, if he got money for his district, then that would count for Asheville and for Buncombe, even though Asheville and Buncombe may not get any of that money because it's all going to Henderson. See, so I'm not really sure this is the best way to examine this uh, this list, but this is the examination that they did. Of those 20... Uh, projects. 11 of them are going to Cumberland County and Hoke County. Those counties are represented by Senators Kirk DeVere and Ben Clark. These are Democrats. They are moderate, and they are two of the only four Democrats who voted for the budget. (gasps) No. So wait a minute. You're telling me that these four Democrats voted for the budget, and two of them here are actually getting money for their districts. And that might be why they voted for the budget. So in other words, they're bringing home the bacon for their district. Oh, I mean, that, that's it. That's the story. That's the... I know, it's earth shattering. This is like, I feel like we should just stop and all think... Okay, never mind. What happens next now after the Jewel settlement? I don't know, I'm thinking... We mount them, put them on chains or something, all these jewels. No, I'm kidding. Jewel is the uh, Jewel Labs, J-U-U-L, Jewel Labs. North Carolina's legal victory over Jewel Labs brings a historic $40 million settlement against the e-cigarette company, striking a blow to the e-cigarette industry. The court case unfolded and the settlement was announced in Durham, a city famous for its ties to tobacco. The Attorney General of North Carolina accused Juul of illegally marketing its product to teens, boosting youth smoking and addiction to the nicotine. Attorneys for Juul and the state agreed to the $40 million at a trial or avoiding a trial. As part of that agreement, 
Juul will cease its marketing on social media as well as near schools and will stop arguing that vaping is safer than cigarettes. Juul products are now required to be sold behind store counters as well. Uh, what is going to happen to the money? Juul's going to pay $13 million up front and then the rest over the next six years. The money goes for programs that treat addiction and prevent future use, which uh, Stein, the attorney general, then I guess can use to buy support via the nonprofits. None of that is mentioned. This is a racket that Governor Mike Easley did uh, uh, when he was attorney general and Roy Cooper did when he was attorney general. And now Josh Stein is doing when he's attorney general, which is you find some deep pocketed uh, corporate entity, you sue them, you get settlement money out of it, and then you create an account where the settlement go- money goes into it, and then you disperse that money how you see fit. That's the deal. Because if it's if it's money, this was the remember this was the beef that uh, arose during the Atlantic Coast Pipeline uh, debacle when Cooper came out and he tried to work this same sort of a deal. But he found out, no, you actually have to sue somebody to get a settlement, because if it's not a settlement, then that just means it's general fund money. And the the General Assembly, the legislature, controlled by those evil Republicans, they then control the money and the disbursement of those funds. And they sued and they won. And that's why the uh, governor didn't get to create his slush fund. uh, Sorry, his uh, mitigation fund. And uh, so here you got Josh Stein. He sues. He gets a settlement. And now he's going to get to distribute the money to these programs, to his, uh, you know, selected nonprofit entities. You you don't get to do this unless it is a lawsuit settlement. Um, Now, speaking of money, you're not going to need a lot of it. in in order to get some really cool gear at Old Grouch's Military uh, Surplus, downtown Clyde on Main Street, and he's been there for three decades. Uh, Well, uh, Tim's dad started Old Grouch. He was the original Old Grouch, the OG, OG, if you will. And um, he passed away. Tim took over the business, and he's got tons of stuff. He's always going and getting new stuff in, so you really need to check back frequently. Um, Go to the website, oldgrouch.com, or go to the shop. Uh, If you are heading out to Maggie Valley or Cherokee, Pigeon, Forge, Gatlinburg, Asheville, just get off I-40 at exit 27. You're in downtown Clyde and you stop into the shop. Uh, They're open Monday through Saturday, 24-7, obviously, online at oldgrouch.com. And uh, tell them that you heard it here on the program. I appreciate that. But if you're in downtown Clyde, there are other stores available right next door. Actually, they just opened a little boutique gift shop. So uh, fun for the whole family. Go check them out, oldgrouch.com. Speaking of a lot of money, which you won't need at Old Grouch, but um, apparently Hunter Biden's paintings are going to sell for like half a million dollars. <laughs> this is such a this is such a nutty story. Um, government ethics watchdogs and art critics are voicing their concerns over Hunter Biden. They call him First Son Hunter. That's not uh, no. The dude's like in his 50s. He's not first son anymore. He's the son of the president. Hunter Biden. He's preparing for his first solo art exhibition this fall, where paintings from the former lawyer and lobbyist, as the New York Post describes him, uh, these paintings are expected to fetch between $75,000 up to half a million. And the buyers will remain anonymous. 
See, this is how they're going to get around any kind of perception of corruption or uh, favor buying or influence peddling. See, the people who buy Hunter Biden's artwork, they're not even going to know uh, or Hunter Biden's not even going to know who bought it. So they couldn't possibly be influenced, uh, you know, to, to give preferential treatment to the buyers of the paintings, you know, through the administration. Nobody's going to know. Richard Painter, chief ethics lawyer for President George W. Bush, painter, no relationship, I think, to uh, Hunter Biden, also a painter. But um, he said the whole thing's a really bad idea. The initial reaction a lot of people are going to have is that he's capitalizing on being the son of a president and he wants people to give him a lot of money. I mean, those are awfully high prices. (laughs) Would you pay half a million dollars for a painting by well, anybody for that. I mean, really, anybody? Half a million dollars for a painting. You're getting, I mean, that's like masterpiece territory, isn't it? I thought so. Walter Schaub, Schaub, Schaub. Anyway, um, he led the Office of Government Ethics under President Barack Obama, and he told the New York Post that the art buyers having their identities protected created a host of problems. Quote, because we don't know who's paying for this art, and we don't know for sure that Hunter Biden knows. So we have no way of monitoring whether people are buying access to the White House. What these people are paying for is Hunter Biden's last name. Right. If you're at the art show, and look, I've, I think I've been to one, well, that was like an exhibit. So if this is going to be like, well, I don't know. Is it like I mean, I've just seen them on TV and in movies, right? They hang the person stuff all around a museum, and the people walk around and they go, "Oh, hmm, oh, ooh, look at that!" Right? And they talk about like what the art could mean and all of that. But the artist is there, and they're walking around and they're talking. So, how does that bidding occur? How does the buy occur? Is it a bid war? I don't know. But couldn't somebody go up after the event or as it's wrapping up or something and say, "Oh, I really like this piece." I'm going to buy it and I'm going to bid so much money. No one else is going to get it. And by the way, I'd love a meeting with your dad. How do you stop that from happening? Um, Richard Painter, again, no relation to the painter, uh, also referenced the issue of anonymity, noting that foreign governments or lobbyists could buy the art through intermediaries in an effort to curry favor with the Biden White House. Yeah, what's to stop somebody from sending, you know, a third party in there, they buy the piece, then they bring it back to the, you know, Chinese embassy, they take a picture of it in their embassy and they send it over to Hunter or to, to Joe and they're like, hey, got your painting today. You're welcome. Like, how do you stop that from happening? Uh, George, Georges Burgess, I think is how he pronounces it. It's his gallery. It's in Soho. And he discovered Biden after being introduced by a, quote, serious Los Angeles-based collector. And he admitted he was skeptical of the president's son's artistic ability. He said, quote, a lot of people say that they can paint and they can do sculpture, but... What I was concerned about was whether Hunter's work would be authentic. And uh, he actually represents a roster of international artists. He spent three years helping Hunter Biden, who is self-taught. And he helped him take his abstract expressionist painting from a hobby that occupied about 20% of his time to a full-time job that saw Hunter Biden spend the last two and a half years holed up in his home studio on a hillside in L.A. following a regimented routine. Okay, 
do you kind of get the sense that there might be another reason why Hunter Biden has been holed up in a house for two and a half years? Maybe. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on, folks. Speaking of California, California Democrats literally changing the rules to help Governor Gavin Newsom fend off a recall effort, which was officially certified just days ago. State officials confirmed the recall against Newsom would proceed after recall organizers collected the necessary 1.7 million signatures to trigger the recall election. So, California Democrats, who control the state legislature, passed a bill that would move up the recall date. The bill was then sent to Newsom's desk. He quickly signed the bill, which now amends existing recall rules to allow the election to happen at least 30 days earlier than under existing state law. So here's the deal. You move up the recall date so Newsom's challengers are going to have less time to campaign against him, giving him the upper hand. Um, They sold this rule change as trying to expedite the recall election. Um, They say, uh, look, uh, this bill just ensures that the election happens as quickly as possible, which I thought that's what this was all about, you Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, out of control crime and homelessness, with many openly injecting drugs on public streets, have prompted residents to begin thinking about moving out of the city. This, according to a new poll by the Chamber of Commerce. New polling released by the Chamber shows eight out of 10 San Franciscans consider crime to have worsened in recent years, 80%. The results were consistent across gender, age, ethnicity, party affiliation, and neighborhood and homeowner status. Homeownership status. I'm sorry, I'm just party affiliation. Consistent across party affiliation. Oh, I guess that would just mean like the Democrats, the Green Party, the Democratic Socialists. I guess across those parties, right? Because that's all that's left in San Francisco. Roughly 88% see homelessness as having worsened in recent years. And an overwhelming 80% see addressing this homelessness crisis as a high priority. The poll also found more than 40% say that they plan to move out of the city in the next few years, according to the polling. See, the success of a city is never guaranteed, right? A lot of people seem to think that, um, well, you know, we've always been where everybody wants to come and we've been, you know, this financial powerhouse and we've been this local art scene. We got this local art scene and music and all this history and everything else. And people think like they're bulletproof on some of this stuff and you're not. You ignore core services and safety for this long like San Francisco has, because this has been, I mean, my entire adult life, they've been down this path. It's gotten so out of control now that you literally have people leaving um, homelessness. People are not feeling safe. Uh, They got break ins that are on the rise. Um, According to uh, one reporter here says police reporting that car burglaries skyrocketed 753 percent in May compared to the same time last year. The mayor, London Breed, uh, announced a billion-dollar investment to address homelessness. 80% of San Franciscans supported expanding conservatorship for individuals experiencing severe mental illness. Conservatorship 
provides court-ordered treatment for those who are no longer able to care for themselves due to mental illness. Is that a solution? Is this a good solution? It might be. Look, this might be a good solution. Now, if you're looking for solutions for, um, you know, bad mattress or restless sleep, you're not, you're waking up, you're not feeling well rested, you need a new mattress. Go to Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com, that's the website, but they got four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden, locally owned and operated, and their July 4th sale has been extended. Um, You can get a free box spring with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. So, uh, win-win. You get the box spring and you get a Biltmore mattress. These are inspired by our very own local landmark. Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection with its luxurious design, its blend of old-world craftsmanship, new-world exclusive technology. It's made by Restonic, and it's got edge-to-edge sleep surfaces and maximum adjustability. It's got five support zones for proper spinal alignment, uh, so you get a more restorative, healthier sleep. And you can get financing, flexible financing options. Go to mattressmanstores.com, click the financing link, you apply, you get pre-approved, uh, and then you walk into the store knowing you know what mattress you can afford to buy, what financing options you got, and uh, it just makes it so much easier. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. So the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce uh, survey that they put out finds 60% of San Franciscans believe it should be a high priority for the city to maintain funding for police academy classes. Isn't that interesting? So the defund the police, are we off that already? Okay. Um, They want to recruit younger, diverse progressive members to replace those who have retired or left the department. (laughs) That's great. So we need more cops, but we would prefer them to be leftists, if that's okay. 76% of San Franciscans believe that it should be a high priority for the city to increase the number of police officers in high crime areas. Well, because they'll be good cops. These will be progressives, so it'll all be fine. Let's send the progressive cops into the high crime areas. 82% say that they wanted to see more caseworkers on the streets to help individuals suffering from mental illness and substance abuse problems. And uh, the other top line here, 74% of San Franciscans supported providing more temporary shelter for homeless individuals. Good luck, San Francisco. (laughs) We are all watching. So this story is out of Louisiana. It has a North Carolina connection. It's it's very tenuous, but still, the search is over for a 12-foot python that escaped from its enclosure inside Louisiana's largest shopping mall. I don't know why a python is in the shopping mall. It's a thing called the Blue Zoo. Yeah, its name is Kara. It's a yellow and white Burmese python. It slithered out of its enclosure at the Blue Zoo in the mall of Louisiana in Baton Rouge uh, on Tuesday. She was still on the loose early Wednesday, and... Uh, They went searching overnight because these snakes are active overnight. Um, And the Blue Zoo said in a statement, quote, Kara is a non-poisonous, friendly snake that enjoys her time interacting with guests during our snake education shows. Pythons slowly squeeze their prey to death before swallowing them. Uh, Kara was described as very sweet by her handlers. Um, But the reign of Kara the sweet is over. 
because WBRZ reported that after uh, more than 48 hours search, specialists recovered the snake and because uh, the Blue Zoo had flown in a specialist to help locate the python. They teamed up with local officials to comb the mall of Louisiana. They've been doing it over two days. They found Kara the sweet snake in a crawl space within the mall. They fish her out at about 4 a.m. Victoria, who is the python's caretaker, said Kara is by nature a very curious creature. And things like this can happen. Okay, And so when Curious Kara, the sweet snake, disappeared, she had no doubt that the snake would in fact be recovered. And she reiterated that Curious Kara, the sweet snake, is a gentle animal and would not intentionally hurt anybody. Unless maybe she got really hungry, then maybe she'd squeeze somebody to death to eat them. So that was the python. Then there was the zebra cobra. It's all snake news. That was the connection. Did you see this Raleigh guy, Christopher Gifford? I get the sense this guy is like one humiliation away from becoming a supervillain. He's got 40 charges now related to this escaped snake of his. He has a whole bunch of other venomous snakes as well. And this is going to shock you. Lives in the basement of his grandparents or his uh, parents' house. Um, but yeah, he's in Raleigh. He's now looking at like 40 different charges because this snake, this like venomous zebra cobra snake, this thing that like spits venom six feet. Um, got loose and everybody thought, well, uh, we saw it. And so we're looking for it and, oh, we found it like two days later. Yay. Our local nightmare is over. But, um, no, this thing has apparently been loose for months. Yeah. The snakes are all being kept in this basement of the home owned by his parents. Uh, and he has been posting videos online of him like doing things with these snakes, taking them outside and doing all this stuff. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. Um, he's got like all sorts of these. What has he got? Like the uh, uh, he's a deadly reptile. He's got rattlesnakes. He's got gaboon vipers, a green mamba, and uh, the monocled cobra. Which I will say, the monocled cobra. It's adorable when you put the top hat on it with the evening wear, too. I mean, who could hate that, right? Okay. That is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, thepetecalendarshow.com. Talk with you later, and don't break anything while I'm gone.